This, this, this is you. KUT. KUT, Austin. Stop. This is KUT. I'm Jennifer Staten. The new school year is well underway. So is the new football season and midterm elections are coming up soon. It seems like whether our team or our candidate loses, people have a harder time being good sports or gracious losers these days. Competition is key and losing can trigger emotional and volatile responses. Why does losing hit us so hard? I talked recently with Central Texas Certified Life and Relationship Coaches Janice and Rock Rockman about why we get so attached to these outcomes. Losing is not cool. It doesn't feel good. Um, So, you know, it could just be the frustration of losing. But then the other side of it is uh, there could be something else that's going on underneath. And, And the interesting thing is bad sportsmanship doesn't correct itself. So... As a parent, as a guardian, as a, you know, individual who's caring for another, as a coach, how are we handling those situations when bad sportsmanship arises? Are we ignoring it or are we actively guiding uh, children or adults for that matter (laughs) in the right direction of what good sportsmanship looks like? I do think that also the word perception comes into mind because I think more important than what happens to us, whether we win or we lose at something, is our perception and the story that we create around what it might mean mm-hmm. about us. Yeah. But sometimes we take these losses in, in sportsmanship or in other spaces and we take and we personalize them. And we make it a loss about who we are as a human being, who we are, how we show up in the world. And I think that is sort of the more insidious thing that's going on (laughs) (laughs) and why the reactions seem to be sometimes so volatile. So it can be hard for people, whatever their age, to separate that particular game or maybe that particular election or whatever the case may be. We've lost a because part of we, ourselves. Because we yeah. have to learn how to depersonalize in our culture. Well, how do you depersonalize <laughs> then? How can you learn to detach your own sense of yourself from the outcome of any one particular discrete event? Mm-hmm. I think that um, part of it is that, and something that, that we talk about in life coaching, for example, is like set the goal, set the intention, but surrender what the outcome means about your Identity. So what does that look like in practice? In practice, so for example, if someone says, we want to win so many away games this year, or if someone says, I want to earn this amount of income, or I want to see this particular political party reach this many numbers of people in terms of a demographic, you set the goal. You put everything in action and do your very best to do everything that's within your reach. You show up as your very best. But then you surrender what the outcome means about your identity. Right. So whether you win it or not, treat criticism and compliments the same. Treat victory and loss the same. I think it was Roger Kipling that first said that in that poem. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> another way of looking at it is what can you learn? What am I from supposed to learn loss? here? Yeah. So you either win or you learn. You win or you learn. When I play football, I play football. I play play college football. I play semi-pro football. And uh, one thing that we always did whenever we lost a game, it was like, we missed this. We missed that. You know, you didn't make your block. You didn't make that tackle. You didn't make that catch. We need to go back. We need to watch the videos. We need to practice harder. We need to do more. That play that we thought was our key play. We need to go back to that play and redo it over again and again and again. It points to, I guess, a larger sort of societal issue, which is the importance placed on winning 
or the right. importance placed on being right, yes. I think more so than learning something from it. Okay. So I think what we what we all get a sense of along the way from an early age is winning is good, losing is bad. Right. And it, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward that way. It is. That's so true. Because changing our way, reprogramming or resetting our way that we even look at it. I love what you said, Rock, about you either win or you learn. That way, at the end of it, it's a it's a win-win situation and releasing the judgment around it. Sometimes even when we're going through adversity in life, you, we can teach this to our children. We can teach this to our sports teams. We can teach this in our classrooms. Mm-hmm. We can teach this in our political campaigns. Right. When we're going through adversity, we can ask ourselves, what What do I need to know right now? What do I need, what do I need to be learning? What do I need to be yeah. seeing? And what part of me has asked for this experience right. that I can grow in this process? Yeah. And it's about managing your emotions, right? Yeah. Because I think what's happened in in sports, especially children's sports, what has happened is to prevent bad sportsmanship, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody wins. Everybody gets a trophy. Nobody really loses. Everybody, everybody gets the same trophy, right? I don't think that's a great model. Now, why is that not a great model? Because the kids that outperformed, they really lost in that sense because they weren't able to establish themselves as the as the better group. Right. And then the kids that actually lost, how can they learn how to be better if they got the trophy as well? Right. So a better model is teach children how to win properly, how to lose properly, and how to learn from both experiences. That way you don't take away, like for example, there was some years ago where there was a kid who was on a football team and he was so good, he was so good, they actually didn't let him play because he was so good. He outshined the other students so much more where it was like, it's making the other students feel bad. Well, how about teach them how about maybe that can encourage someone to be a lot better number one and number two what are you saying to that kid who's outperforming there's something there's some recognition that i think should be held for that person how do you show recognition how do you teach that kid to be a little more humble right and teach the other children how to be a little bit better in the everybody gets a trophy scenario also the people who do legitimately lose they also lose the opportunity to process those feelings. Right. So they don't have a chance to feel what it feels like to be on the losing side, to process that grieve, Mm -hmm. whatever they're going to do. And then maybe down the road, have a healthier response. Mm -hmm. All they do is build up bad feelings about loss and there's nowhere to put those feelings. Right. And that's why I say it's about managing emotion. Yeah. How do you teach someone how to manage their emotions around winning, around losing? Because listen, I don't think anyone's out here to lose. No one sets a goal to lose, I don't think. Right? Everybody wants to win, but how do we manage the emotions around it? How do we build our emotions to be stronger? Because I think we ultimately come out as stronger individuals if we work on that part. Mm -hmm. If we're aware of it. If we're aware of it. I think a lot of it is it's almost like cognitive behavioral. It's it's impulse regulation. It's emotional regulation. And I like to think of emotions as energy and motion. So sometimes we over-rely on them. (laughs) And one key thing about life, no matter who you are, there's always going to be someone that's better than you. And there's always going to be someone that's a little bit under your performance. And there's always going to be someone that's equal to you. 
I mean, unless you're LeBron James or Michael Jordan or something <laughs> like that, right? But truly, there probably are guys out there that are better than LeBron James that aren't even in the NBA because they didn't take the right steps, right? So then what do you do? You just become, be okay with being who you are. Practice self-acceptance. And that does start at home. I really think that, I think that sportsmanship starts at home. I think that self-acceptance starts at home. Bullying often starts at home. So we have to also be accountable as caregivers and parents and leaders and community right. workers in the way that we're showing up in the world. <laughs> How do you teach adults to learn to win and lose properly? Yeah. <sighs> and learn. <laughs> <laughs> Counseling is a great <laughs> Counseling, therapy, coaching. Um, but, but, but seriously, you know, and I mentioned this, I think some parents live vicariously through their children. They're angry. They're mm-hmm. upset. They're frustrated because they want their children to be a better version of who they were. They want their children to achieve things that they were never able to achieve. And so they drive and they push. And there's not anything wrong with pushing your children to greatness. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes a disturbance, now we have a problem, right? And then the hard thing is that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's up to that individual to seek out their own help, you know? Um, And and there are things like counseling and therapy that I think are, are fantastic, but you can't be at a sports game and say, hey, buddy, I think you need to go see a therapist. You know, that's just going to stir the pot even more, you know. So individuals have to do their own self-care, you know. And there are a lot of different ways to do that. There's life coaching. There's therapy. Mm-hmm. There's, um, you know, so many different mindfulness, things. Meditation, mindfulness, meditation, self-help yeah. self-help. There's so many ways out there for you to better yourself. But that's a personal decision that you have to make. Yeah. The, the, the hard thing is we just have to deal with it. And in dealing with it, maybe we can teach ourselves and teach our children how not to be that way. But that individual that may be going through that, that's part of their own self-care. It's not much. It's kind of their work. It's It's their their work work. to do. It's not our work. I think also for any parent, caregiver, coach, community leader, teacher that's listening, think about this. Whenever you have, whenever we have a fear-based response to something, agitation, frustration, anger, we can know that we're allowing a part of that to own our power. And so instead of just saying, oh, I don't know why I just flipped, you know, just became so flippant and got so mad at this and just treating it as an isolated event, ask yourself, where else does that show up in your right. life? And, and, and am I attaching my personal self-worth and self-efficacy mm-hmm. on that child's outcome? That's right. Or that team's outcome? And that's not fair to the child or the team. And neither is it really fair to you as an individual because there's some disconnection there. So I, I like you what you said, though. You need to find where the disconnection yeah, is. Yeah, find where the disconnection is. And I like what you said. It's not necessarily our work to do their work for them, but maybe this is an opportunity for us to model a different way of being. Yeah, and I guess I would say someone that is that is that person that's causing the disturbance, that's the angry person at the game. Why do I get so frustrated? You know, some people who have bad sportsmanship think that, oh, I'm just competitive. Oh, you know, my son gets a little bent out of shape because he just loves to win. You know, and they see that as competitiveness, but is it really just bad sportsmanship disguised as competitiveness? You know, for people of any age, some competition is healthy, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you you want to try to improve yourself and do better, but what is that line between simply healthy competition and something that is, is beyond that, that is destructive to you and to others? Right. It's a very, very fine line. It's easy to cross over to one or the other. You know, I think the determination is 
how is it affecting the others that are around you? And how is it affecting you personally? Is it the type of thing where you can't sleep at night? How deep is this wound of your child losing or you losing Mm -hmm. or the win or the victory? How deep of a cut is that? I mentored a guy. I, I coached a guy who said, I always win. I have to win. I'll scratch and claw and do whatever it takes to win. And and he's very successful because of it. He's a multimillionaire, but he had this mentality that he just could not lose. He had to win. And in some ways it served him because he's successful. He has a lot of money, but in a lot of ways it hurt him because he also is very alone. Yeah. Living in a world all by himself. And some techniques that work in some places don't translate to others. Right. And also, you know, in thinking about competition, that we're competing against our best version of ourselves. So we don't have to use like this fear based thing of like, look at them, which turns into almost like envy and jealousy, which never, that's a disordered hunger that never gets filled. Right. So if we can turn that back and see what's the best of the best that I can become physically, emotionally, mentally on Mm -hmm. the scoreboard, you know, then I think we can maybe make a little progress in how we're doing this and not allowing it to impact our self-esteem. And just as a culture, it's like we become a culture of like verbal, just like hecklers, like online in stadiums, you know, I can post or tweet and I don't see, I don't see the people who responding, I mean, I read the responses, but it's not interpersonal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that has fueled some of I this? think it's emboldened a lot of people that have felt invalidated or unheard. And it's like, now I have a space to do it. And I can be, I can have some cognitive dissonance. I can have some space away from it, you know. But ultimately, I, I think that, you know, and sometimes when I sit with people and if I'm in a debate or something like that, I'll say, look, I'm secure enough in my identity to be able to share space with you even if we diametrically oppose on values and beliefs, but I can still sit with you and share space with you and not have the need to fix you. And if we can try and just practice that kind of mindset, almost as like a mantra, as a way of retraining our brain, because our brain is a very sophisticated muscle, we can retrain it, then we can share space together and it doesn't have to necessarily become combative. It seems like that for a lot of people, being right is really important it's another win-lose thing. I guess right. essentially they want to win the argument and be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And feel better about themselves for right. about five minutes until yeah. the next one. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it, it's like, you know, people don't want to listen to reason. I'm not going to debate you about a particular situation. I'll let you be right. What do you change about that? How, how do you change that individual? Because some people really do need to open up their ears, sit down and listen to the other side of the table. But, Now, with, you know, polarizing things like uh, right now, you know, in uh, religion right now, there's a lot going on with um, priests and bishops and, you know, in politics, you know, with Trump being in office, there's a lot of, you know, right, left, who's right, who's wrong. And it's very polarizing and you cannot change the mind of the other individual. And that's one thing that I've learned. There are people out there that want to be right. But for those individuals that are willing to listen, realize that you're not going to change their mind. And I have something radical to say about all of it. Go for it. From my perspective, there is no right and there is no wrong. That's true. But there I is truth. That. And the people should be allowed to own their truth. That's and right. just because it's not true for you does not Doesn't mean that mean it's not it's true, true for them. For them. Exactly. And when we become defenseless and we let our defenses down, it gives the other side the opportunity to do the same thing. Then we can actually hear each other and connect. I love that. Engage. There's no right. There's no wrong. <laughs> there's just truth. 
Well, and that takes away that somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. It does. It takes away the power play because the more we erect this defense and it's another defense and another defense. And it's again, it's like this disordered hunger that's never satiated. The true hunger is to be seen, heard and validated. I remember my husband used to always say the first need that we have when we hit this planet is to be seen, heard and validated from that very first infant's cry. And that's what we're doing as grown adults in media and politics. Looking for significance. Looking for significance. Listen to each other's truth. Yeah. So it's not so much as here's my point. Here's my view. I want to be right. It's just here's my truth. Yeah. What's your truth? And I honor that. In yoga, we say namaste. The divine in me acknowledges, honors, and embraces the divine in you. Namaste. Like, I see you. I see you. Janice and Rock Rockman, Certified Life and Relationship Coaches in Central Texas. And as always, we thank you so much for your time and your discussion today. Namaste. Thank you. Jennifer Staten, KUT News.